Good morning. Lovely to be back with you all. I've been away for a few weeks, about four weeks. For those of you who don't know me, I'm George, and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. It's really good to see you. Before Christmas, I got a kidney stone, which was horrible, absolutely horrible. So I was away for Christmas, and then was in South Africa for two and a half weeks in Cape Town on holiday. So that was fantastic. So that was a nice way to get over the kidney stone that I had just before Christmas. But it's really good to be back with you all today. I hope you've all had a really good Christmas as well. Why don't we start by praying together? Father God... Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we get to delve into your word, that we get to read your word, that we get to study your word. Lord, thank you for this story this morning of Jesus calling Peter to follow him. Lord, I pray that as we read this, as we study this together, Lord, that you would call us, that we would know your call on our lives, and that we too, like Peter, would follow you. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be here this morning in your power, for Jesus' sake. Amen. As I was studying this week, as I was looking at this passage, I started to think, actually, it's an incredibly difficult thing at times to be a Christian, is it not? We've got sin that we're bombarded with every week, every day of our lives. We've got temptations that come our way very often. We've got these temptations that bombard our lives We've got um, things where we feel rejected, where we might be telling our non-Christian friends or family members about Jesus, and we might feel rejected because they might not want to know what we have to say. We've got all these things coming our way, and it's a difficult thing to be a Christian. It is, particularly for people in other parts of the world, where it is really tough to be a Christian. And I think we often emphasize the fact that it is a difficult thing to be a Christian, without looking really at the flip side, without seeing that really it's an incredible privilege at the same time to be a follower of Christ. Because really, if we asked ourselves, if we weren't following God himself, if we weren't following Jesus Christ, who would we rather follow? Think about that for a second. Who would we rather follow if we weren't following God himself? It's an amazing thing to be a follower of Christ. It's an incredible opportunity that we get to follow God himself. So the passage we're looking at today is the passage where Jesus calls Peter to leave everything, to leave everything behind, to leave it all and to follow him. Now Peter's the fisherman. Okay, he's got all these nets. He's got his boat. He's got his fishing business. This is a family business that Peter is a part of. And Peter says, I'm going to drop the lot. And I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you call me, because you are God, because you have chosen me, because you have called me to follow you. And so I'm going to leave the lot, and I'm going to follow you. And as I've been looking this week, I've, I've seen some commentators that would commentate on this passage. I've heard a few sermons of people talking about this. And some people take this in a negative, depressing kind of way. And they would say, oh, you know, Peter, he he had this amazing fishing business. This was a family business. If he just left it all, he'd be leaving his family in the lurch. Or, you know, he just caught this huge number of fish. He could have sold these fish and used it for ministry. He could have used it to help feed the poor, the hungry. And they see it in a depressing kind of way. Whereas I think Peter looked at this and he thought to himself, okay, in this hand I've got fish. And in this hand, I've got God. Really, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it, really? We think about it. Fish or God? Which one am I going to follow? Peter drops the lot, and he follows God because Jesus calls him 
to follow. Peter thinks, I get to be a follower of Christ. I don't have to be, I get to be. What an amazing opportunity that that really is. He doesn't see it in a depressing kind of way. So I'm going to start by asking a question this morning. I want you to be honest with yourselves. Is your Christianity at the moment, honestly, more about have-tos? I have to do this. I have to come to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to do this. I have to do that. Or is it more about get-tos? I get to be a follower of God. I get to come to church. I get to sing these songs. I get to pray. I get to read the Word of God. Do we know an incredible privilege that is in this country to be able to read the Word of God? Honestly, is your Christianity more about have-tos or is it more about get-tos? Just think about that for a moment. See, I see this passage. I see the amazing opportunity that Peter has here to, to leave it and to follow Christ because Christ calls him to. And I hope that that is our attitude as well this morning. Huge challenge for me as I've been studying this. Is that my attitude? Do I look forward to coming into the presence of God? Do I look forward to reading my Bible? Honestly, at times, yes, I do. At times, it's more difficult, particularly when you're Leviticus. But it is an incredible opportunity to be a Christian. So we're in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. That can be found on page 1032. You've got your Bibles there. Open it up to that page. Before Christmas, we gave out these booklets, Luke's Gospel booklets. And you might have those still with you. I encouraged you before I went away to, to read this over Christmas. I hope you've done it. I did say that I would check. So I hope you've done it. And if you've got these Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5 from verse 1. That's where we're picking it up today. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Okay, the lake of Gennesaret is the ancient name for the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee, and it says that there are crowds of people that are crowding round him to listen to what he has to say. Because he's been performing miracles. Okay, this is a man that people have heard a lot about. He's the great teacher. He's the one that performs miracles. And people are intrigued by this message that Jesus is bringing. And they're thinking, what can he do for me? Can he help me? Can he heal me? This is this amazing teacher that we want to come and to hear what he has to say. So Jesus has got these crowds. And he decides, right, well, there's too many people here. So I'm going to take the boat. And I'm going to go a little bit out from shore so that I can teach the people. And it says that he took the boat, the one belonging to Simon. This is Simon Peter. Peter already has a relationship with Jesus. We saw a few weeks ago in Luke that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So they have this relationship already. So for Jesus to say to Peter, can I borrow your boat? It's a kind of natural thing that he would do because he already has that relationship. So Jesus is in Peter's boat and he's teaching the people. And then we see what happens here in verse 4. It says that when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water 
let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can we see the picture that's going on here? Jesus is teaching the people, and when he's done teaching the people, he says to Simon, hey, Simon Peter, throw the nets over. Let's go a bit deeper. And Simon, he does it reluctantly. He doesn't want to do it. They've been working hard all night, but he does it. And it was such a huge catch that the nets began to break. And he signals to the other boat, there's so many fish. He says to the other boat over there, come over because we need you. The other boat comes over and they both begin to sink because there's so many fish. So many fish that boats begin to sink. Can you imagine the amount of fish that they would have caught? Here's a couple of things I want to recognize from this passage. The first one is that Peter was reluctant. Peter was reluctant. He didn't want to throw the nets over. Okay, these guys are fishermen. This is their business. If they know anything, it's about fish. Okay, they know about fish. They've been working hard all night. They haven't caught anything. They've caught nothing. They're knackered. And Jesus turns up, a carpenter, someone who doesn't know about fish, someone who knows about wood, and suggests to these fishermen that have done this for probably most of their lives, why don't you throw the nets over? Let's go a bit deeper. And they're thinking, come on, Jesus. Seriously. We've been working all night. We're fishermen. We know what to do. You don't know what to do. You know about carpentry. If we wanted to know about wood, we'd ask you about wood. But don't try and tell us about fish. But Peter, the man of faith, does it reluctantly. He throws the nets over. What I find interesting is that Jesus makes these guys work hard all night. He makes them work for this. And then he shows up and he performs a miracle. Okay, why? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just show up at the beginning of the evening and just do it? Why does he make them work hard all night? See, if we look at Scripture, we see that in Scripture, God often allows people to get to a point where it seems impossible for it to happen in their own strength. He allows people to get to a certain point where they think, well, there's no way that this could ever happen in human strength. So God can show his power and so that God can show his glory. There's a few examples of this in the Old Testament. The Israelites coming out of Egypt... Okay, they, they flee from Pharaoh. Pharaoh decides to let the Israelites go, and they're on the run. Pharaoh then decides, oh no, what, have I made a mistake? So the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites. They get to the Red Sea, and they think, well, we're done for. There's no way we're going to get through the Red Sea. But they cry out to God. The Israelites, Moses, cry out to God, God, would you do something? And God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land. The Egyptians get swept up in the waves. And they praise God. But they had to get to a point where there's no way that they could do this in their own strength. It was only God that could do it. It was only God that had the power to do it. It's the same thing with Gideon, Judges 7 and 8. Gideon was a man, he had 32,000 men to go into battle with 100,000 men. 
32,000 against 100,000 men. Okay, in the world's eyes, that seems in itself impossible, does it not? But God says, hang on a sec, 32,000, that's too many. Way too many people to go up against 100,000. Really? Yeah, too many. So Gideon whittles it down to 22,000. He loses 10,000 of those men. He's now got 22,000 against 100,000 men. Again, in the world's eyes, impossible. God says, ah, 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 ah. too many. Takes it down, takes it down, takes it down. Until he gets to 300. Gideon has 300 men against 100,000 in battle. And what happens? God is with them. And they win. With 300 against 100,000. In the world's eyes, this is impossible. This could never happen. But why does God do it? He does it so that he can show that he is powerful, that it is not done in human strength, that it is done in the strength of God, that God can do anything. Gideon wins the battle with 300 men. The story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, and Jesus hears a report that his good friend Lazarus is dying. And what does Jesus do? He yeah, okay, thanks for the news, but I'm going to continue on ministering. So he continues on doing what he's doing. He then hears a report that Lazarus has died. And you think at that point, Jesus would be like, well, of course I'm going to go. But he doesn't. He waits. Jesus ends up waiting four days. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he turns up, and this is the shortest passage in the whole Bible, says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus. And then he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, to come back from the dead after being dead for four days. Lazarus comes out, and it's a miracle. But Jesus waits so that it's shown to be in the power of God, that God would get the glory, that God would get the power, and it is not done in human strength. Peter had to wait all night they had to do all of this stuff until Jesus shows up and performs a miracle. What can we learn from this story? If you're struggling with something at the moment, if there's something in your life that you think is impossible, maybe God is teaching us something. Maybe God is saying to us, well, maybe you need to stop trying to do this in your own strength. Maybe you need to turn to me. Maybe you need to ask me to have a go at this. Maybe you need to stop trying. And this is an encouragement to pray and to seek God and to fall on our knees and to pray that God would do something, that God would show up, that God would have the power, that God would have the glory. This is the way that God does it throughout the Bible. Maybe he's saying something to us today. What is it that we need to take to God? What is it that we're struggling with? What is it that we're holding on to that we can't let go of in our lives? And we all have different things. If I'm honest, for me, it's been my health. I've been really concerned about my health. And I'm worried about my health. But is God bigger than that? Have I given it over to God? Maybe that's something for someone here this morning. That's the first, first thing that I want to recognize from this passage. The second is in verse 8. Turn with me to verse 8. 
says, when Simon Peter saw this, when he saw that Jesus had performed this miracle that these guys had seen, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, what would we have expected from this passage? Jesus shows up, this carpenter. He performs this amazing miracle. They've got all these fish. They could have sold these fish and probably been millionaires that have made loads of money. What would you have expected the reaction from them to be? Well, I would have thought happiness, joy, excitement. Wow, we can't believe what's just happened. Except it doesn't say that's what Peter did. It says that once all this has happened, the first thing that Peter does is he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. Why? See, I think it's because he realizes that Jesus is God. I think he realizes that Jesus is divine. And once he realizes that he is in the presence of a divine being, that he is in the presence of God himself, he realizes what a sinful person he really is. He realizes what he's done. He realizes that Jesus can see straight into his heart. He realizes that Jesus can see everything about him, and he falls on his knees, for I am a sinful man. We see this in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord, and he, too, falls on his face because he cannot be in the presence of God because of his sin. But he says, for I am a sinful man. I am a man of unclean lips, and I have seen the king. Woe is me. I am dead. I am ruined because I am in the presence of God. See, as I was reading this, I thought to myself, when was the last time that I was amazed at the glory, at the holiness of God in comparison to my sin. To be in the presence of a divine being. To get to pray to God. And I think often we belittle what it is to have the privilege to read our Bibles, to pray. And I think often, I'm guilty of this, that I enter into a relationship with God a little bit casually. I don't really think about who I'm praying to. But to realize that actually we are praying to God. We are praying to the creator of the universe. And that is both an incredible privilege, but it is also something that should be held in honor. Because God is God. Peter realizes this. He falls on his face and says, I am ruined. Peter says, get away from me because you're going to hate me when you see all the sin in my life. And he falls on his knees. And so I've got to ask you, when was the last time that you were amazed at the holiness of God? When was the last time that you were struck by your sin and how bad, how wretched you were in comparison to the holiness of God? It's happened to me a couple of times. I can remember when I experienced grace for the first time. It was the most amazing thing. 
And I experienced, actually, just how sinful I was in comparison to how holy God was. And that God would love me, that God would call me, that God would choose me despite my sin, despite the fact that I was a wretched sinner, that God would still choose me to be a follower of him. And that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of this book. But we, although we're fallen, although we're messed up, although we make mistakes, God chooses to call us. And this is what Peter experiences. Peter falls on his knees because he experiences that God invites him, that God calls him despite his sin, despite what he's done in his life. And Peter, that's why, he drops everything and follows Jesus. Because he sees fish, God. Of course, I'm going to go God. What else would I do? Peter chooses to follow Christ. Is that what we see with our relationship with God? It's very easy to say this, but it's another thing to put it into practice. And really, I'm sure there's many of us in this room that would say within our own lives, that's great, but really this is a very difficult thing to do. Maybe you're looking at your life at the moment, you're looking at the fish in your life, and you're thinking, my money, or God, my house, or God, my family, or God. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could give those things up. And it's not necessarily saying that God is going to ask you to give those things up. But it's the heart behind it. If God called you, if God asked you to do that, if he asked you to drop everything and to follow him, would you do it? And it's a matter of the heart. Is he number one in our lives? And honestly, I would say there's been times in my life, probably a couple of times in my life, honestly, where I've come to a point where I just think, you know what, I could leave everything and follow God. Nothing would hold me back. But it's so difficult to do. It's so difficult to do. See, how do we put this into practice every day? How do we put this into practice on Monday morning when we go to work, when we go and be with our families, when we're at home? See, I think it's realizing who God is that we are in the presence of a divine being, that we are in, present, in the presence of God Almighty and the grace of God, which is so amazing, that he would choose to love us, that he would choose to call us despite our sin, despite what it is that we've done in our lives, that we fall on our knees like Peter and say, God, whatever you would have for me, I'll do it. But it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So my challenge this morning, what has God called us to? What has God called us to? And what has God called us to lay down? What holds us back from truly, like Peter, saying, you know what, I'm going to drop everything, I'm going to follow Christ. We all have our different things. That we would say, oh, you know, 
that's too tough. I can't do that. How are we going to put this into practice in our week? How are we going to put God as number one in our lives? And I really think it means us in this new year, New Year's resolutions and all that, to make a point of spending more time with God, of spending more time getting to know the holiness of God, spending more time being in His presence, being in that place where we see how we are in comparison to the holiness of God and it makes us fall on our knees. How is that in our relationship with God? I'm going to pray in a moment and invite people up that would like to receive prayer for this. And I know for myself, like I said, this has been really difficult for me with my health over the last few weeks. That I think I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. <laughs> as soon as I get something wrong with me, I start Googling. And you know what it's like. You Google, oh, what could this be? What could this be? What's God saying to me in the midst of that? Trust in me. I'm in control. What is it for you this morning that you need to give over to God that holds you back from truly following him? I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to pray for us as we go on from this place. Father God, thank you that you call us, that you have invited us, that you have chosen us, despite all the things that we have done, the ways in which we have abandoned you, the ways in which we have gone our own way, ways in which we have sinned. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much despite all those things that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for our sins that we could have a relationship with you. God, that is the most incredible thing that we get to have a relationship with God. And I pray, Lord, that this morning our relationship with you would not be about have-tos, but it would be more about get-tos. Father, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that as we go from this place, the areas in our lives which hold us back from truly following you, Father, would you help us with those areas? Would you help us to give those things over? To be people that would say, if you called me to give those things up, then yes, I would go. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.